Tudor History and Travel Show is a podcast that brings Tudor history to life by exploring Tudor places and artefacts in the flesh. You will be travelling through time with Sarah Morris, the Tudor Travel Guide, uncovering the stories behind some of the most amazing Tudor locations and objects in the UK. Because when you visit a Tudor building, it is only time and not space which separates you from the past. And now over to your host, Sarah Morris. Hello, it's Sarah, the Tudor Travel Guide here. Welcome to the Tudor History and Travel Show. It's just a note to say that if you're hearing this, then you are not currently on our Patreon programme and will only be hearing the first part of each show. In order to access full episodes of the Tudor History and Travel Show podcast, you will need to become a patron of the show via the show's homepage at thetudortravelshow.podbean.com. There you will find information relating to various different levels of sponsorship with different perks associated with each. But access to all the usual shows of my podcast in their entirety is included in the entry level, which is just $1 a month. We don't run ads on the podcast, so it is made entirely possible by the support of our patrons. So if you enjoy what we're doing here, please consider becoming one. I hope you had a great festive period and that you are looking forward to the year ahead, particularly, I hope, a year of Tudor adventures. And I am certainly looking forward to getting back on the road and bringing you the stories of some incredible historic places. I certainly hope that over the festive season you're able to tune in to last month's bumper episode from Hampton Court Palace. Of course, there were two episodes to listen to, which took me deep into the heart of the palace and well off the usual tourist trail and behind the scenes to get into all sorts of wonderfully interesting nooks and crannies. Anyway, today we're actually heading across the channel to my beloved Loire Valley in France. Now, a little bit more on that as I introduce this episode in a moment. But before then, we've got a couple of pieces of housekeeping to go over for today. Well, actually, it's a little bit more like a sneak preview of what's coming up. I just wanted to flag up to you guys out there that I have already started filming for this year's virtual summit. In fact, this year it's going to be in the spring and not in the autumn. Of course, we have the coronation coming up on May the 6th. And last year, around the death of Elizabeth II, I got so many questions about the ceremony and the people taking part and some of the different objects that we saw, the jewels, etc., that I thought it would be really interesting to do a coronation summit that covers all the main areas, ceremony across the ages, particularly with a focus on Tudor ceremony and how it's changed today and what we can expect to see on the television also looking at the buildings, notably, of course, Westminster Abbey and some of the highlights um, of that building, some of the things to be looking out for when you're watching the ceremony. I'm also going to be talking about ceremonial dress and, of course, the coronation regalia. Um, it's such a rare opportunity to see this ceremony um, I thought it would be great if we could get some experts on board to help us unpack it all so that when the television goes live on the 6th of May, we are all coronation ready. So that's going to be coming your way in April. Uh, I will be opening tickets, uh, booking for tickets probably in uh, mid-March time, early March time. So if you are interested in that, the very best thing you can do is subscribe to my mailing list because that's the most reliable way of receiving news from me. And to do that, you need to head over to my website, which is, of course, www.thetudortravelguide.com and you will see uh, where to subscribe on the homepage. Alternatively, there'll be a link in the description associated with this podcast. Well, 
I look forward to seeing you there. I can't wait for all the bling and the pomp and the ceremony. Um, So, yeah, let's get ready to be coronation ready. The other thing I wanted to let you guys know about is that over on Instagram, I will soon be starting a second itinerary. Now, it's something I did for the first time on Instagram uh, towards the end of last year. I did my top, I think it was six, uh, churches to see, some of the most fabulous cathedrals and historic churches that took us from Malmesbury in the southwest of England uh, across in a northeasterly direction, ending at Lincoln Cathedral. And along the way, I pulled out some other locations which were close to that itinerary route that you might want to see, because I know because you contact me to let me know and ask the question, okay, I'm going somewhere, but what's in the area? I don't want to miss anything that's important uh, while I'm in the area. So the idea is, is that by giving you an itinerary along a theme, you can follow the itinerary, but also you will get to find out about other really interesting Tudor-related historic locations along the way that you may or may not choose to visit. Now, that itinerary proved to be very popular. I put together a map on Google Maps and that goes in my link tree on Instagram. And then I do daily reels, which take us from place to place to place. Uh, And you can follow along from the comfort of your own armchair. And if you're planning a trip, then of course, I hope it gives you some travel inspiration. So I will be starting that in the next week or so. And if you want to follow along, then of course, head over to Instagram and follow the Tudor Travel Guide. And you'll be joining nearly 150,000 other followers who hopefully will be enjoying the itinerary with you. So again, I hope to see you there. Now we're ready to get on with the business of today's show. So as I indicated, uh, this show comes from the Loire Valley in France. It is one of my favourite places, not least because during the summer, the weather is absolutely gorgeous and you have the most stunning chateau to enjoy. And we are so lucky that because of Anne Boleyn and her time spent at the French court, we have a great excuse as Tudor lovers to head over to the Loire and enjoy its charms. Now, of course, in relation to Anne Boleyn, we have chateaux such as Amboise and Blois to enjoy, particularly amongst others. But actually, for this podcast recording, I headed to the Chateau Chenonceau. Now, that particular chateau was actually built after Anne left the French court. And so it is associated with Diane de Poitiers, who was, of course, the beautiful and much beloved mistress of Henri II, and later her arch-rival, Catherine de' Medici. It's such a beautiful chateau and so unusual in that its gallery spans the entire length of the Loire. And one of the things I adore about the chateau in the Loire, particularly if you visit in the height of summer, is that all the windows are thrown open and the light and the warmth streams in. And at Chenonceau in particular, they go above and beyond to decorate the chateau. And it is full of beautiful arrangements of flowers which fill the chambers with the most glorious, heady scent. It's really, really a wonderful place to visit. And I was lucky enough to head on over there this summer during my vacation to the Loire and get a private viewing of the chateau. And on today's recording... I will be joined by Amélie Lancio, who is a guide at the Chateau and took me around this gorgeous building, talking about the building, uh, the chambers, its history, the people who lived there, including its links with Mary, Queen of Scots. And I'd like to thank the staff at the Chateau de Chenonceau for allowing me to record there. So for the first, but definitely not the last time this year, it is time to buckle up because we are about to go time travelling. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the Chateau de Chenonceau. 
So my friends, you join me at the fabulous Chateau of Chenonceau in the Loire. And in fact, I'm standing in such an impressive room. I've been brought here by our guide today. Amelie, hello. Bonjour. <laughs> Bonjour. <laughs> Bienvenue à Chenonceau. Euh, je m'appelle Amélie et je suis guide ici au château depuis euh, six ans maintenant. Hello everybody, welcome to Chenonceau. I'm Amélie and I'm your guide for this podcast. And I'm guide in Chenonceau in the château since six years now. Uh -huh. so, so we're in safe hands today. Yes, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've kind of got ahead of the crowds. I'll just make a mention for that for our visitors. So at the moment, it's quite quiet, but there will be other people in the background because the gates are opening soon. So you're likely to hear, dear listeners, people enjoying themselves. But we're a bit ahead of the crowd and you've brought me right into the heart of the chateau. And, and people who are listening may hear it's, it's, it's very echoey because where are we? because we are in the ballroom, we are in the great gallery, the Medici's gallery. Um, it was a ballroom. It's not obvious on Catherine de Medici's portraits because she's always represented like a severe character, very sad and severe, but indeed she was a party girl. She was really optimistic, joyful, and she loved parties. And she organized parties twice a week wherever she was. So, in Chenonceau. Really? That's twice a week? Wow. <laughs> that, yeah, that has blown away my concept of her. Because you're quite right, the portraits look so severe. Yeah. It's, um, it's uh, also a political dimension, because if the wealthy class were occupied to choose dress, jewels, um, hairdress, uh, they, don't, they, they are not occupied to plot against you. That's why okay. she organized so many parties. All right, okay, lovely. So we are here to talk about the history of the chateau, but we're also here to talk a little bit about uh, the French Renaissance court. You've mentioned already one grand dame of the mm -hmm. French Renaissance court, and I'm sure we'll be talking a little bit more about her, but also to talk a little bit about Mary, Queen of Scots, because of course, she was not only part of the French court for a significant number of years, but she did actually come here to Chenonceau. So it'd be lovely to talk to you about and try and put Mary in context of that court. Yes, Mary was an important character during her childhood and her, and her youth to the French court. Um, she, she came to the French court for the first time, she was five years old. Um, maybe we can think she was a little bit lost leave her country, come, come in France. And her beloved mother, of yes, course, Marie of de Guise. Of course. Um, we can imagine it was quite hard to meet new people, new French people, she, uh, people she didn't know, um, to meet Catherine de Medici, meet her future husband, Francis II. Um, but she, she was an important character in France history too. It, it was quite particular, you know, uh, People say, historian people say, um, they, Catherine disliked Mary and Mary disliked Catherine de Medici. We don't know if it's true. We don't know if it's true. Uh, it's hard to, to make a judgment about the relationship because it was, it was 500 years ago. Mm. So maybe the, 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 the atmosphere was completely different. Ma Mary was important because the relationship between Scotland and France were important at that time because they were uh, allied. Yeah, the old alliance between Scotland yes. and France, yeah. Of course. <laughs> so the, the wedding between Francis and Mary was so important because Mary was influenced by her uncles, the Guise, uh, because they, they make some arrangements. Um, Mary had to sign some documents about um, the relationship between Scotland and France. Um, if she died without heirs, the, the Scotland would be a part of the Kingdom of France. Right. So it was quite, so it was a, quite a union, wasn't yeah. it? Well, I'm sure we're going to pick up more of the story, but I really like to start at the beginning, which yeah. is to talk about the chateau and how it came into being. So I'm wondering whether there's another part of the castle that we might go to to just pick up on that story.
Oh, so, um, Emily, you've brought us into another fabulous area of the Chateau. I have to confess, I have been to Chenonceau on a couple of occasions, and this is one of my favourite spots. Can you tell me where we are? We are in the green study. It was the room where Catherine de Medicis put her desk when she wanted to work when she was in Chenonceau. So it's really the beating heart of the palace and such an intimate space. And I think that's what I love about it. It's such a small, I think it's what we would call um, in, in, in English terms, a, a closet, which is just a private space, a very intimate space. Yeah, it was a private space for her. Catherine needed intimacy to work, you know. Uh, she, she read a lot, a lot of books. She wrote a lot of letters to, to everyone, so she, ne she needed to be focused on her work. But sometimes she used the gallery to receive people in public meetings. It was uh, people that she disliked when she received, <laughs> because the protocol is very strict. Uh, you cannot turn back to the Queen, so they had to return to the hall backwards yes. and bow. In a, on a, in a long gallery. Yes, so. the gallery is 60 meters long, so it was very humiliating for them. And the French court, the French court looking at you, so it was a real humiliating moment. So I promised that we would talk to our listeners about the origins of the chateau. Yes. So maybe you could tell us, is this the original chateau? What existed here beforehand if it wasn't? So it's not the original chateau, it's not the first castle, it's the third castle. Okay. Before it was two fortified castles because they had some defensive position of the river. Uh, between the, for example, during the 100 World War, yeah. you know, English. The 100 Years War, yeah. Yes, the Indian, mm. yes. Uh, English against French people, so the English came first in, in Chenonceau, they took the chateau. Well, the owner gave them the chateau. Uh, so the French king was very upset. So to punish the, the owner, he destroyed the first uh, chateau, the first fortified chateau. 20 years later, they built another one, defensive, in the forecourt. But in the beginning of the 16th century, uh, Catherine Brissonnet and Thomas Boyer, a couple of French bourgeois, wealthy couple, uh, bought the estate, bought the chateau. Uh, Thomas used to work for Francis I, he was a tax collector in Milan, in Italy, so he saw all the beauties in the Italian Renaissance and he wanted the same thing in France for his own palace. So when they came here for the first time, they decided to destroy the fortified castle. They kept the big, uh, the big tower that we can see outside. They set up an apartment on the first floor for Catherine because Catherine oversaw the building site. Uh -huh. Yes, because Thomas was always away, so it was right. a, a woman. Uh, yeah, so it was like the chateau. We call it the chateau. Well, it's Chate a French name, yeah, isn't it? The, the chateau, chateau des dames, the ladies' <laughs> castle. Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, and Catherine just kept the basement of the fortified mill, you know, and she built the first chateau, like a Venetian palace. Mm -hmm. so, and we should say, for those people who haven't been to Chenonceau, and of course I'll be creating a show notes page with some photographs, uh, dear listeners, so if you want to see some of the delights of the chateau as Emily and I are talking, then please do make sure you check out the link in the description where you'll see those photos. But for those people who are not familiar with uh, the chateau, it, it's, it's right on the river, isn't it? In fact, the current chateau spans the river, and, and that is... Um, really quite unique, I think, whenever you see images of Chenonceau. Yes, it's completely unique and uh, the river is an important part of the architecture because when you're inside the chateau, wherever you look, when you look by the window, you see the river. And um, so you can enjoy your environment and the river contributed to the um, peaceful and quiet atmosphere of Chenonceau. It's like um, a space out of time, it's, completely. It's beautiful. Um, I must admit, getting ahead of the crowds and being here. You're surrounded, you look out the windows, you see river, you see gardens, you see woodland, and, and all the windows and doors are open. And it's a beautiful, warm, sunny day here. The weather just, you know, that, that you feel, as I think you were telling me just before we started to, to record this podcast, it's like being outside indoors. And that was part of the way these chateaux were built? Yes, because, you know, they, in the beginning of the 16th, middle of the 15th century, they, in the region, the kings took some existent medieval chateau and they restored it in a Renaissance way. So they, they just make some 
renovation, but some, sometimes, like here in Chenonceau, mm -hmm. they just destroyed everything and they create something new, like the chateau, like this. To enjoy the chateau, it was more functional. You see, when we're coming in the, in the hall, we have a central hall with four rooms all around. Mm -hmm. And it's the modern touch of the chateau, because before it was just room. And if you wanted to go to the library, for example, you had to cross all the rooms in the chateau. So you disturbed everyone. Mm -hmm. This way, with the central hall, and the rooms all around, it's better for the servant team first, and you can get some privacy into your room. You just have to lock the door, and that's all. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really, really modern for that time. Since we were talking about the building of the chateau, I thought it apt that we come outside and, and talk about its appearance and its uniqueness while we look at the chateau from the side of the river, because of course, you know, you get this wonderful view. Can you just describe to us what we see? So, yes, as you, as you said, the, the chateau is very unique. Um, well, so, when you are here in the corner, we can see the Mark, Mark Tower, the former keep, mm. not dungeons, but... Of the medieval castle. Yes, the former keep. We think it was the biggest tower of the chateau. We don't have any uh, prints of what it was. Oh, it's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> yes, completely. But in this tower, they set up on the first floor an apartment for Catherine Brissonnet, first woman of Chenonceau. Uh, you can still see the remains of the um, medieval castle. Mm. You see the walkway here, yes. medieval walkway. Yes. They just restore the tower in the Renaissance uh, style. Ah, I see. So on the other side, there is some big, big windows to enjoy the environment, to, 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 to see the light inside. But you can still see it's a, architecturally, it's a very different, yes. uh, very different proposition to the, to the later chateau. Yes. Uh, completely different proposition and do you see the stone yes the there's tower? sort of a scars aren't there on the side of the tower where yes. clearly something used to be or yeah. was attached maybe yes it was something attached because you you could go in this garden directly from a from a staircase yeah and you see that the stone it's not a tufo it's something stronger than tufo mm. and you can see the tufo the very white stone on the on the actual chateau and that's, that's the, that, that tufo is the name of the stone from the local area that we're, yes. all the chateaus in, in the Loire are built from you. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so we have a lot of galleries under the floor and today it's used to store the wine bottle. <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> Sounds perfect. Yes. <laughs> um, on the river we see the basement, the former basement. You, see, you can see the difference of the colour between the, the basement is very... Uh, uh, sand, so yes, very stands, sand, yes. and the, 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 the stone up is more white. Mm. So you see the first project, first castle, uh, like the Venetian palace with four towers all around, yes. with the window and the little balcony. 
Then you see the bridge with all with the five arches and the three level of gallery upon the bridge. But if you look at the end of the chateau, yes, you can see some stones sticking out. Yes, a little bit. Again, it looks like something used to be attached to it. Yes, because something wasn't built because Catherine de Medici. Uh, had a huge project for Chenon. So uh, many, many buildings uh, attached to the to the original chateau, and uh, the the the, pro the project the project never came up because uh, it was religious war, and the project um, must co cost a lot of yeah, didn't money. Yeah, she didn't have enough money yes, for it. Yes, she didn't have enough money for it. So her son Henry III, that we talked mm. earlier, said. No. <laughs> no, no, no. So we just have this part, but I think it's enough. Do you think she was planning to build another one of those towers on the other side? Yes, we know she wanted to build uh, like a uh, um, oval. Oh, an oval, an oval. An oval room. Ah, um, probably to rest after the ball, <laughs> you know. Mm. Uh, she wanted to make buildings on this side, uh, destroyed the fortified tower and reach the building over there. Oh, I see. So she wanted. So this is kind of like a, another completely separate building on the other side of the yes. garden. It's quite far away from the original yes. palace, and she wanted to connect the she, two. She wanted to connect, and she wanted to add some buildings with co antique columns, like in Saint Pierre de Rome. Oh. Uh, and you, you see this building that we talk. Yeah. She wanted to build the same thing in front to have a mirror effect, and more, um, one more building to close. To close the, that would have easily doubled the size of the chateau. Yes, easily. It's if it was built, it would be like Versailles. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yes, it was a really, really big project. And you see this uh, house. I do. So there's a, there is a house. I mean, yes. literally a house next to the other garden. We're in one of which garden are we standing in at the moment? We're standing in Catherine de Medici's garden. And then on the other side, there is another beautiful, yeah. a bigger garden, and there's a house next to it with a very pitched leaden roof that I can just see there. So yes, well, what about the house? So it was the intendant house, la maison du chancelier. Uh, the men who ran the castle when the owner was away yeah. and today is the guest house when the owner, because it's still a private castle, when the owner receives some important people, uh, political people, politicians or, oh, um, or friends, closest friends, they are received in this big in this house. Nice. And who is the owner of the castle? Uh, so it's the Menier family. Uh, they bought the castle in the beginning of the 20th century, 1913 exactly, just before World War One. Uh, and they were owner of a big chocolate factory the most famous uh, chocolate <laughs> factory of the world at that Chocolates time. Chocolates and castles, it sounds perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, today the chocolate factory belongs to Nestle, hmm. but the Menier family kept this beautiful chateau. Uh, well, it's a tough one. Chocolates or chateaus, I don't know which I choose. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, although, although I'm a huge fan of chocolate, I have oh. to say, push comes to shove, I'd probably take the chateau. So I can understand your dilemma. <laughs> yes, exactly. Good. Okay, that's great. Well, let's go back inside and continue our story. So, Emily, I, I interrupted you there from your story of how Chenonceau developed because my curiosity got the better of me. But the second palace was a Venetian palace. What happened then? Well, actually, the, the third palace was a Venetian ah. palace. Um, the legend says Thomas um, brought construction plan directly from Venice. That's why we have that kind of atmosphere here. What happened next? Well, uh, <laughs> Thomas was um, accused of fraud. He was embezzling money. Um, we think it, it wasn't really embezzling money, but the king need, needed money at that time, mm -hmm. so he just uh, find a they're pigeons yes. inside. <laughs> yes, I just wanted to say to those of you listening, 
we are actually in the chateau, but um, as Emily pointed out, when the doors are all open, the pigeons do tend to get in. So if you hear pigeons cooing or wings flapping, yes, we are actually inside. Uh, there are some very friendly resident pigeons here, aren't they? <laughs> Yeah, they wanted they want to to make their nest inside, but uh, every every day we just uh, <laughs> encourage them <laughs> yeah, to leave. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, now the pigeons interrupted okay, us. Okay, um, so we we think now it was just a pretext because uh, the state, state coffers, coffers yeah. were empty, so the king needed money. So Thomas was uh -huh. accused of fraud. Uh, so uh, Francis the first seized the castle to repay himself. Uh, he became the owner in 1535, uh, but he, he, he had no interest in Chenonceau. He came here two times in 13 years, so no renovations in the chateau. The, the chateau were, were, was empty during 30, 13 years. And when Francis, Francis I, the king who built Chambord, died, his son Henry uh, take the throne, of course, uh, but he didn't kept Chenonceau for himself. He offered as a, log as a love gift to his mistress, the beautiful Diane de Poitiers. Uh, Diane was uh, famous for beauty until very late. Uh, she was a businesswoman uh, and she fell in love this sh with Chenonceau the first time that she, sh she saw the castle. So. Ah, so this was a gift. This was yes. a gift to his mistress. Ah, yes. okay. So right. Did she continue to own it or did it get passed over to um, Catherine de Medici? No, she, she, first she, she ran the castle perfectly because she was a businesswoman, very coal-minded, uh, but very talented too. She, she built the main alley to reach the forecourt. It was easier for the French court when she came in with the, the, the carriages, uh -huh. so it was easier, they, they, yes. they, they, were, they, they were going directly in the forecourt, so it was easier. She built her gardens, the biggest garden of Chenonceau, it's built on elevated ground to avoid flooding, so very, very smart. Mm. And she built the bridge to reach the other bank. And the other bank, I mean, maybe you could tell us a bit about the surroundings here. I mean, it, it must have been a glorious place to live. Lots of hunting. Was this a pleasure palace? Yes, it was a pleasure palace because Diane had two chateaux, two chateaux, um, Annette near Paris. It was for business, a castle for business. And she also was a castle for pleasure and parties. You're in a great place for a yes. party. <laughs> but you reminded me there about, you know, how the court moved around. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit, really, about the French Renaissance court, the rhythms of life? So just to give you an idea, you know, in the English Tudor court, there were many palaces along the River Thames and King Henry and later uh, monarchs moved around from palace to palace and uh, in the summertime they would go on what's called the summer progress so they'd head into the countryside and they'd either stay at their houses or they'd stay at the houses of the gentry and the other nobility. Was that the case with the French Renaissance court? The French court lived an itinerant life, maybe the same lifestyle of the, Engli of the English court, uh, because the king the French king need to, needed to show his power and meet uh, his subjects. Um, to show his power, to show he was the king. Uh, and Francis I never stay more than three weeks in the same castle. Oh, is that right? Yes. How interesting. So he needed to move quickly. And uh, the wealthy class never stay long with the king because it cost them a lot of money. Mm. So they didn't very stay expensive. Too. Yes, it was a very expensive way of life. Um, so the French court moved from one castle to another. And um, when they stopped in Chenonceau, it was for pleasure and parties. I mean, not Francis I, because it was just a um, hunting lodge for him. Mm. Uh, but Diane planned parties here, Catherine's also, but... 
that's your part of the story. So, so this castle really came into its own in terms of its use by the royal family um, by the mid-16th century rather than the first half of the 16th century? Yes, because uh, it was the second part of the 16th century because Diane became the owner in 1547, you know, and Catherine became the owner in 1559. Right, okay. Yeah, lovely. And so when, when the court came here, one of the things I'm always curious about is how did they get here? Did they come here overland or did they make use of the, the river to move between the chateau? No, the, the river was for merchants. They, they're coming here by land, you know, because they, they, they used to travel with all their furnitures <laughs> and all the furnitures could be dismantled like uh, the ancestor of Ikea. Yeah, 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 <laughs> absolutely. Flat pack furniture, Renaissance style. Yes, so everything could be dismantled, even the beds. So they, 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 they came here by lens, and when they come in, they set up all their things and furniture in, inside the castle. Mm, wow, right. Oh, well, that's good. I really like to know, and that's a bit of a difference between the English court, because the English court used the River Thames a lot oh. to move between the palaces. Um, so that's a really interesting difference between the two. Well, maybe the French court travel with boats and uh, the servants um, traveling, tra travel by the land. Yeah. But we don't have too many informations about that, so yeah. I can't really tell. Yeah, lovely. Okay, shall we go and explore another part of the palace of and pick up the story? Because what I'd be really interested to talk to you about particularly is the time that Mary Queen yeah. of Scots was at the French court. So yes. maybe you could take us somewhere else in the palace and we can yeah, pick up the conversation. Yes, maybe we can go in Francis the first room. Oh, lovely. Oh, okay, so let's go this way. Here you, you will see in uh, the castle the H for yes. Henry, it's very important for us, and the 2C for Catherine de Medici. Looks like Gabrielle Chanel. And yes, it does, doesn't it, really? Do you think she got her inspiration yes, from that? We yes, think, yeah, yeah. we think. I mean, I think this is such one of the wonderful features. We've come into what set up, what, what is this room we're in now, Emily? So this room is the is Diane de Poitiers' bedroom, the ah. mistress' bedroom. It's not, a, it's, not, it's not obvious because you have the portrait of Catherine de Medici <laughs> on the fireplace. Yes. Um, it's an ironic reference, you know, to the relationship between Catherine, Henry and Diane mm. because they lived together, not together, together, but during mm. 23 years. Yeah. So uh, we... A menage à trois. Oui, a menage <laughs> à trois, exactly. And uh, Catherine was deeply in love with Henry, so we can imagine it was Ooh, really hard for... Yes. I was. did wonder about that, whether Catherine was sort of... Because it's an, this, I'm particularly interested in the first half of the 16th century. Yeah. So some, my gaps in my knowledge sometimes with the later part of the 16th century. And one of the things I wasn't sure about thinking about coming here today was how well those two women got on and whether they, you know, whether Catherine was just very pragmatic and accepted the fact. Yes, she 
accepted the fact she was pragmatic because she she don't want to deceive she don't want to deceive her husband Henry because she was deeply in love with him. Um, Diane, the, the relationship was maybe they lived in good intelligence, you know, the, the both mm. Diane and, and Catherine. But we can imagine it was quite hard because Catherine was deeply in love of Henry, and uh, Diane, she was favorite. She was beautiful, she had everything, and her nickname, she was nicknamed La Plus Que Reine, more than a queen. Right. When you Ouch. are the actual queen, oh. it, it must be hard to, for you to hurt that. That is hard. But what I was actually going to say, thank you, so we're in this lovely bedroom at the moment, there's a bed there and some fabulous tapestries, but the fireplaces strike me in the French chateau, they are absolutely exquisite. Yes, and we used to light them oh, yes. before uh, Notre Dame catastrophe. So the, the, the fireplace in the girls' room were used by us. But um, when you're near the fireplace, you, you feel the, the warmth. It's yeah. really powerful. But when you are at the, uh, on the other side of the room, it's quite cold. Ah. So they, you know, with the tapestries, they cut the rooms in several parts, yes. like this, you don't have to 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 warm all the all the rooms. Uh -huh. That was quite smart. Ah, it's very interesting. So they knew what they were doing, didn't they? Brilliant. So we were heading to the Francois the first room. So let's get going. Okay. So we're just going through a tiny little corridor, and then. So continuing our theme of understanding the French court and, and my curiosity to understand the similarities and the differences between the English and French court, can you paint a picture of, of what life was like at court? What was the rhythm of daily life like? So the rhythm of daily life was um, quite simple. Uh, people woke up early with the sun in general. Uh, they take something light, I mean a light um, breakfast, mm. and after they, they were going to, to the chapel to attend, attend mass. Uh, in the chapel you have the Queen balcony, where the queens attended mass, like Catherine de Medici, Mary Stuart, uh, Queen Margot, or Louise de Lorraine, and uh, not the rest of the French court, because the French court at the time of Catherine de Medici was 3,000 people. Yes, right. <laughs> so just a little bit of, of characters oh, yeah. as attended, attended. Some of the closest us. members of the court, yes. the most important people. Yes, the most important people. And it was the most important people who lived into the chateau because you cannot host 3,000 people into the chateau. It's Thank impossible. You. That was one of my questions. I mean, similar thing happened in England. You obviously, some of the huge palaces could hold the entire court, but at many times, courtiers would find lodgings in surrounding towns, yes. villages, or put tents in the... It, was that the same thing yeah, here? Yeah, same thing here, same thing here. Chambord has more than 400 rooms, wow. you know, for every room, but each and also we have 30 rooms. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's small, it's, isn't it, in comparison? Yeah, in yeah. comparison, it's really small. So um, the most important people, the, the people who, who were close to the power, to the crown, to Catherine mm. and, and, this, and her sons, lived into the chateau. But that, that's all. Right. Um, so you attended mass, then you take uh, lunch, take light lunch, and uh, in the afternoon you have the choice. You can do whatever you want. Um, you can make the conversation in the Queen's apartment. You can read, but you, you don't read the same way. You can read a book, but you don't read the same way today and in the past. In the past, you, you, you read it all out mm. to like, like this, everyone can enjoy the book uh -huh. with you. Mm -hmm. You play chess because it's uh, mixed between uh, intelligence and military strategy. Uh, you can do some... Um, Sewing? Yes. <laughs> um, sorry, sorry, listeners, Emily was just doing the action there. <laughs> So I helped out with the word. <laughs> you can go. You can go hunting in the forest because um, today we just have um, 140 hectares. Mm -hmm. But at that time it was more than 1,500 hectares. Wow! So yeah, lots lot of, of space. space. <laughs> yes, we're hunting. Wow! Um, or you can enjoy music, as you. It, it's completely your choice. And 
at night, um, the rooms that we are in. It was like apartments for them. So they used to eat, receive people, uh, dressed, wash themselves with bathtubs that servants um, get in, mm -hmm. in their rooms. Mm -hmm. So it was like, the room was like an apartment. It's, yes, so, so everything happened yes, in the room. exactly. Because all these rooms that we're in, that they're, you know, they're very sizable, obviously incredibly grand, so they were multi-purpose rooms. Everything happened. Yes, and you know, they, they, they didn't have dining rooms. So, so it's not a thing that they didn't hit to, to, together. Yeah. Uh, maybe during parties, where, um, yes, where long banquet yes, tables and yeah exactly but in daily life they didn't eat together ah right it's really interesting because that is a bit of a difference because the royal apartments in england there were a whole sequence of rooms which began with a couple of public rooms a great hall a presence chamber where people would be received ambassadors and guests then into a private kind of privy chamber, then into a bed chamber, then into a closet. So there was a certain set sequence of rooms. So you would expect the king or queen to have at least, at least five or six rooms in that sequence. And that would be the apartment yeah. that would be used for different purposes. This sounds slightly different, at least here at Chenonceau anyway. No, not in Chenonceau. Um, the antechamber was the guard room, mm -hmm. you know, because the Catherine de Medici's bedroom, we have, a Catherine de Medici, we have Catherine de Medici's bedroom here, but it's not the original. The original was between the chapel and the green study, and the guard's room was the antechamber. I see, yes. So, so she had a little constellation of yes. rooms there, but I guess as the most important person yes. other than the king, then you would expect that. Yes, and you know, uh, it was uh, a pleasure castle also for Catherine de Medici because she came here, she, she didn't always came here with all the French court. It was like a private event. Oh, yes, a smaller... Yes. Yeah, we'd call that like a hunting party almost. Yes, yeah. because, you know, uh, in 30, 30 years, we think she came here 13 times. Okay. So it's not regular visits um, because there were there, there was trouble time, you know, yes. with religious war. Yes. Catholic against Protestants. Yes. Same thing for Mary in Scotland, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it was it Certainly was quite was. complicated. But when Catherine needed some quiet time, she she came in Chenonceau because it was one of her favorite castles. Uh, I'm returning to the the typical day of the French court. So after you enjoying your afternoon, you take your dinner in your room, uh, or if um, if a party is planned or organized, you can hit uh, in, the, in the gardens because the, the gallery was inaugurated in 1577. So it's quite, so it's quite late. late. Yes. So um, first it was some parties into the garden. They built some theater place in the gardens, you know, and they enjoyed the fireworks. Uh -huh. upon the river. Yeah. Uh, for example, Catherine was really a party girl because she decided to brought 50 boats on the river to recreate a battleship on the river just to entertain the French court. <laughs> so that kind of parties. Yeah. So, and why not? That's what yes. I say. Why not? And glorious gardens they are too. Um, now, um, so that was, a, that was really the the day in which the, the French court operated. And would somebody like Catherine or Diane, they would have had ladies with them. How many ladies, you know, what was the kind of the, the household that actually looked after the so, royal king, queen, for example? So Diane was looking for economy. Uh, um, yeah, she was trying to <laughs> manage money. Yeah, she used to, to manage money a lot. So she had the little household. You okay, know, little, we, small We don't know exactly the, mm. the how many members in the household, but we know Catherine has more than 700 people at her service. Right. You know, um, yeah. ladies in waiting, uh, servants, uh, priests, uh, apothecaries, uh, doctors, pff, astrologists. <laughs> she, she believed she was superstitious and she believed in astrology, like many people at that time. Uh, so, yes, it was uh, a big part of her household that she came with her when she was in Chenonceau, but the servants 
some people, some servants were were host in in the attic. Ah, you know, I upon see. the gallery, yes. the, the, the the last level of the gallery, yes. they were they were host in the attic. Yeah. But uh, yes, big household for Catherine de Medici, but she was Queen of France, so that's indeed, the, indeed, that's the usual um, household, Queen's no. household. Now, I think you've brought me into the Francis I room because we're standing in front of a magnificent cabinet, and I happen to know what this cabinet is about. It's to do with Mary, Queen of Scots, isn't it? So it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, our most beautiful renaissance oh. furniture in the chateau well that's what it's protected all around yes there's a rope around it so yes. folk can't get too close to it but it's quite quite stunning can you tell us about it and then maybe we can pick up the story of yeah. mary in france you've been listening to the first part of this month's episode of the tudor history and travel show the remainder of this episode is available to patrons only to become a patron of the show, head over to my Podbean homepage and you can find the Become a Patron button in the top right-hand corner. Alternatively, you can find a direct link to Become a Patron in the text associated with this podcast. Thanks for listening, my friends, and I'll see you in the Tudosphere again soon. Thank you for tuning in to this month's episode of the Tudor History and Travel Show. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe, like and rate this podcast so we can spread the Tudor love. Until next time, my friends, it's happy time travelling. Mm-hmm.